Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Battle Round. It is a beautiful Saturday here in Baltimore. Zach Goodman in the studio, as always, with me. Zach, how you doing this morning? I am great, Paul. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing really well. You know, the Orioles snapped a 19-game losing streak to the Yankees yesterday, splitting uh, that doubleheader. To be truth be told, they should have swept the doubleheader. They outplayed the Yankees in, the, in game one, but six unearned runs in the two games allowed by the Orioles. Uh, they were fortunate enough to take the second game. A big four-run uh, four run fifth inning for the Orioles, highlighted by Ryan Mountcastle, who went three for three in game two with a two-run homer. He drove in three runs overall. Orioles got that win six to three. The bullpen did their job. Uh, Jorge Lopez looked pretty good in that start. Five innings, three runs, no earned. Uh, He's looking better and better with each start here for the Orioles. So nice to see them get off the schneid and pick up a victory over the Yankees after losing 19 straight. Um, You weren't thrilled with how the games went. The defense was terrible. What are your thoughts on on how that – the Orioles should have won both games, right? Yeah, I mean, so many opportunities in so many places in that first game. They almost won it multiple times, and they just couldn't get the big hit to come through. And the defense just wasn't that good. Rio threw a ball away in the second game. Multiple guys were, were missing balls. It was just a bad played game overall in that first game especially and then the second game like you said the bullpen did the job and uh, there was a couple big hits that they weren't getting in that first game the Orioles have been horrible with runners in scoring position just they 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 can't get the big hit when they need it they were absolutely atrocious game one they went one for 12 at a certain point in game two they were something like oh for I think they were oh for two which isn't which isn't awful because there's only two at bats I'm gonna look it up real quick but I know that they that they hit well with runners in scoring position in the fifth inning um nice to see them get a win this is a Yankees team that let's let's not kid ourselves here it's not like the Orioles are beating the Yankees that started the year right they they have Giancarlo Stanton on the injured list same thing with Aaron Judge Glaber Torres uh, I think they're also missing Gio Urshela right now. So a lot of no-name guys in that Yankees lineup yesterday. I did like what I saw. Okay, I didn't like what I saw because he's a Yankee. But Garcia, the pitcher in the second game, he looked really good. He looked really good, and he might have a bright future for New York. Yeah, I just want to make a note in that first game, the Orioles were 1-for-12 with runners in scoring position. Unacceptable. That that can't happen. I know a lot of these guys are hitting really well, but that's just they're not getting the big hits and the big situation, is, and that needs to change. You know, something of a philosophy. I'm not sure what it is, but they need to change that. Garcia did look good. You know, he dominated the minors, really dominated AA, even pitched pretty well in AAA, which not a lot of guys did last year because of the juiced balls. But, yeah, I mean, it... it he looked pretty good, and he sat the Orioles down through most of that game. Yeah, you saw him. You saw him start to tire out a little bit there towards towards the end of his outing. He did have that twenty five pitch third inning. Otherwise, he was pretty efficient. Um, but you know, Ryan Mountcastle happens. He 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 literally just sat dead red on a fastball there in the in the second inning and hit a hit a two run shot to give the Orioles a brief lead there. Uh, you you saw the Yankees take that lead three to two uh, on unearned runs, and it's. It was Rio Ruiz. There's two outs. There's a runner on first base, and there's a ground ball to third. And it was—I can't remember who the batter was, but he wasn't fleet of foot. 
And he hits a ground ball to third base, and Ruiz gets it, doesn't set his feet, throws on the run, and he throws it away. It was a similar throw to the one against the Nationals uh, when the Orioles ended up losing that game, that heartbreaker 6-5 to five, when they scored five runs off of Scherzer. And it just seems to me... So anyway, the, the, the Ruiz throwing error, just to get back to that briefly... That, that throwing error puts runners on second and third. The next guy, uh, Eric Kratz, comes up and he hits a two-run single. Gives the Yankees that 3-2 to two lead right after the Orioles had just taken a 2-0 uh, lead. And it, Rio Ruiz makes errors that change games. And it's it's he only has three errors on the year. But two of those errors have been game changers. They, they, they've, they've been big. It cost them the game against the... Against the Nationals, now some will argue that the Orioles looking at three straight called third strikes with a runner on base in the eighth inning of that game cost the Orioles the game. But still, without that throwing error, the Orioles win that game five to four. Then last night, it could have cost the Orioles again. We said six unearned runs in the two games. The Yankees scored nine runs in those two games last night, and six of them were unearned. The Yankees are good enough, even with their depleted lineup. The Yankees are good enough that you don't need to give them extra outs, and the Orioles did that all night. Yeah, Rio Ruiz, I know you mentioned it on Twitter last night, but he's not making the plays in the big spots. He's just double-clutching or not making the throw as hard as he should be. I'm not sure what's going on. He played kind of gold-glovish defense for the beginning of the year. Now he's not hitting. He's batting under 200. He's kind of struggling, and I think that's taking place in his defense, too. He's just not been very good. That's something that needs to change. You can't be making outs, and you can't be giving these pitchers who aren't incredible pitchers in the first place unearned runs. It just can't happen. It's, it's true, and, you know, and, and that's where you want to give credit to a guy like Chris Davis, because Chris Davis hasn't hit in a half a decade. But he goes out there, and when when he does play, he, for the most part, plays gold-glove caliber defense. You look at Rio Ruiz, who started the year out hot, and everybody was thinking, oh, he's look at his swing. His swing has changed. He looks so much better at the plate, so much more comfortable at the plate. And then his average starts to slowly creep down, slowly creep down to the point where now he's hitting like 192, right? And it's hard to not take the struggles offensively into the field because you're standing there and all you're thinking about is how you just struck out in your last at bat. The next thing you know, you've got a ground ball on you and all you've been thinking about is your failures. I better not screw this up. What do you do? You screw it up. So Rio Ruiz, hopefully he can bounce back because right now nobody else is going to play third base for him. You know, he's going to be trotted out there against righties, against lefties. He's going to be the everyday third baseman, at least for the remainder of this season. And the Orioles don't really have anybody waiting in the wings, except for maybe Ryland Bannon. But is Bannon even at the alternate training site? I don't believe he is, no. I haven't heard anything about Ryland Bannon. No. And I had high hopes for him, at least coming up and getting his feet wet at the major leagues this year. I was a big fan of his. Um, so the, they don't really have a ton of depth at third base. So we don't really know where they're going to go in the future. But for right now, it's Rio Ruiz's job. And. It's his job to lose, and right now he's not doing a great job of not losing it. Um, with that being said, Cesar Valdez, 35-year-old journeyman reliever, hadn't made it, hadn't pitched in the majors since 2017. He came in last week, picked up his first major league win since 2017. Last night he goes two innings and picks up his first career save. The guy looks unhittable, and he doesn't throw hard. He just he locates. His pitches have a lot of movement. And these guys just can't sit back long enough to get the bat around on him. 
Yeah, for sure. And, you know, he, he has that changeup, which is really a plus pitch. There's not a lot of guys who can just change speeds like he can. He doesn't really throw much else than that changeup, and he just throws it. It drops out, and, and no one can hit it. The Yankees were striking out on it like crazy last night. He just kind of has he's, – he's kind of a junk baller, if you want to say that. You know, he, he kind of throws a, a little bit of a curveball and then puts that changeup in there, and it just drops out. It's a really nice pitch. You know, he, he's obviously on the older side. Some, you know, No one's going to say he's the future for the Orioles, of course, in the back of the bullpen. But for right now, he looks pretty good. And you know, he can definitely give them some saves down the line. Yeah, and right now, and somebody put, uh, pointed this out on Twitter, and it makes a lot of sense. A rebuilding team should not have a set closer. Unless it's a veteran who's showcasing his talents for a trade. Now look... Hunter Harvey has potential closer stuff. Tanner Scott definitely has potential closer stuff. A guy like uh, Cesar Valdez, not your prototypical closer. The prototypical closer throws upper 90s and you know just gets a lot of swing and miss stuff. And to his credit, Valdez gets a lot of swings and misses. But this guy, his fastball tops out in the mid 80s. You know, his curveballs in the mid 70s. So, really interesting to see. I don't think that he should just be named the closer right now, but he's earned the opportunity to keep going out there and having late inning opportunities in high leverage situations for the Orioles. Now, speaking of relievers that were pitching in high leverage situations, Michael Givens, Miguel Castro. They're gone. So is Tommy Malone. We're not going to talk about the Tommy Malone trade too much because it was for a player to be named later. We don't know who that is yet. But we did see Givens get traded for Taryn Vavra and Tyler Nevin. Tyler Nevin, of course, the son of former big league slugger Phil Nevin, who had some monster years for the San Diego Padres back in the early to mid-2000s. Vavra, is a, he's a middle infielder. He's got a great hit tool. Um, just drafted in 2018. High batting average at, at low A, and they the Orioles think that, th- that this guy could potentially be an everyday second baseman as early as 2022. Tyler Nevin, if there was a Norfolk season going on right now, he would be he would be the the starting first baseman at AAA for the Tides. Uh, big time power bat, um, he's just starting to come into his own. He won a batting title in the Arizona Fall League back in 2018. Good pedigree with his dad being Phil Nevin. Plays corner infield, corner outfield. Struggled a little bit. When he moved up to, to, to double-A, but the power came on late. He ended up hitting 13 home runs last year at, at, at double-A. So what are your thoughts on the trades here, Zach? Do you, are you excited about them? I think the Orioles got a haul for Michael Givens. Yeah, I, I certainly didn't expect that much. You know, Givens is, is a middle reliever, which there aren't a lot of in baseball, and they're always come at high demand. There's always big returns for them. But Michael Givens just hasn't been all that good. So I didn't expect this huge haul we, you know, the, the Orioles got for him. Vavra is, is a really nice player. You know, the Orioles don't really have a future at second base if you look at the farm system right now. We talked about Bannon. We talked about McCoy. You know, maybe Alberto sticks around for a few more years, but Vavra looks like the guy who's going to come in there and he's going to hit and he's going to play, you know, maybe average to above average defense if you can get that out of him. He's 23 in A ball right now, which is a little bit concerning, mm. but maybe moves up to double A next year, maybe gets a call up next year in September. You know, it, it, we'll just see how it goes. And Nevin's a guy who has a really sweet swing. Like you said, he has the pedigree. He's got a nice left-handed stroke. He can hit for a little bit of power. I look at him as like a Ryan Mountcastle light. 
Like, he, you know, he right. can play first base, he can play left field, but he's not going to hit like Mountcastle can. He also came up as a third baseman and had to move over, you know, because he, he really doesn't play defense that well. But, you know, it, Nevin, I'm not sure if there's going to be a spot for him, you know, with all of these guys on the Orioles like Mountcastle and Nunez and Mancini who play that first base left field type. So, you know, Nevin might have to, to hit a little better if he wants to have a starting role. I agree with you. Now, we're going to talk about it a little bit later in the show when we get to our Orioles banter part of the program. Um, I'm not sure that Nunez has a spot with this team. Again, we'll talk about that later, but I think that if it's between him and Nevin, and Nevin provides the same power, but from the left-handed batter's box, it's probably Nevin, if I'm being perfect. And he probably plays a little bit better defensively at first base than Nunez does. Um, And you also, you left out Adam Hall. Who is who was down there at Frederick last year? Helped lead that team into the playoffs. Uh, Adam Hall is a scrappy little second baseman. He he sprays the ball all over the field. He's got good speed. Plays okay defense. Uh, that's a guy who could be in the Orioles' plans. But Taron Vavra might make him have to step his game up because I think Vavra has a better hit tool. But that remains to be seen. I think they're both probably at, a, at about the same level. Although I believe Hall was a high school guy. Hall was, yeah. Hall was drafted out of high school. Vavra has a little bit more seasoning because he got to play in college. So we'll see how that goes. Now we're looking at Castro. Miguel Castro was traded right before the deadline to the Mets for a tall lefty Kevin Smith. Uh, profiles as a mid to back end rotation piece, six foot five. But for a six foot five lefty, any lefty in the major leagues has a chance. But uh, six foot five lefty, he throws in the low nineties, which is not ideal for somebody with that size. To you would expect him to to top out at 96, 97. He's topping out about ninety one, ninety two. Has a has a developing changeup and has a pretty late breaking slider. What are your thoughts on Kevin Smith? Where do you see him profiling with the Orioles in the future? You know, I've heard comps to Zach Lowther a lot. You know, he, he was already in the Orioles system, and he actually was added to the 60-man player pool uh, a few days ago now. But Kevin Smith is, is a nice player. You know, I, I don't think he has ace-level potential. I don't know how high his ceiling is at this point. But, you know, a lefty, like you said, can always carve out a spot in the major leagues no matter what it is. You see a lot of lefties who are just there to have the matchups. Obviously, there's a three-batter minimum rule now that kind of screws with that. But there, you, there, you can always find a matchup for a lefty. He does profile as that back-end starter. His stuff isn't incredible. It's not overpowering. He's more of a finesse guy. But, yeah, I, I think he could definitely be a four or five. And the Orioles, you know, they have the top guys like Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, Mike Ballman and Dean Kramer. But they do need a little bit more depth in that, in that pitching that's going to be you know better for them down the road agreed they they have the horses at the top that are going to be here hopefully sooner rather than later within the next two or two years or so uh so i I agree they need you guys to fill out that rotation we don't really know what the orioles rotation has in store for the future because you just haven't seen anybody yet keegan aiken finally getting an opportunity to start thanks to the tommy malone trade uh to the braves who got absolutely destroyed in his first start with the Braves, got I, I feel bad for him. I, I feel bad for him. I, I feel the same way I felt about Andrew Kashner, where somebody go somebody goes out and they trade for you because they feel like you can help them make a playoff push, and you go in there and you just crap all over the place. And that's basically what Tommy Malone did in his first start. Two and a third innings, he gave up five runs, I believe it was, and two home runs. He gave up the home runs here, but they usually didn't hurt. Uh, but I do like the fact that Keegan Aiken is getting an opportunity to showcase his talents. Four and a third innings, two unearned runs in his in his first big league start. 
and we're going to do this quickly because we got to get to your sounding off segment. But um, I felt like Hyde had a little bit too short of a leash for him. You look at a guy like Cole Salser who has an inevitable, uh, not inevitable, an infinite, excuse me, infinite length leash, it seems to me, opportunity after opportunity to go two winnings and just getting lit up almost every time at this point. But then you have a guy like Keegan Aiken, the first time he gets two guys on base, Hyde pulls him out. What were your thoughts on that? I think Hyde wants to get him in the best position possible as a young guy, but it's not like Aiken is that young. He's 25 already, and you know he's, he's proven himself in the minors. He's been through every level. I complained last week about him not getting the opportunity. Obviously, the Tommy Malone trade, like you said, opened up that opportunity. He's going to be starting tonight against Garrett Cole, which will be a really tough matchup for Keegan Aiken to win. But, yeah, yeah I, I do agree. I, I think Hyde, in general takes his starters a little bit too short and he really has a lot of trust in those early inning bullpen guys and, and like you said an infinite leash on Cole Saucer, but not on Keegan Aiken I'm not I'm not sure why that makes any sense but uh you know John Means was pulled early in a lot of his early starts and he ha- wasn't built up yet but still Brandon Hyde does take guys out a little bit too early for my liking that's my, been my biggest gripe with him I is, agree is he pulls his starters out the, the starters would seem to be cruising uh you know what Let's not say that because nobody in this Orioles rotation has cruised this year. But it started seem to be pitching well enough to keep going. And then he pulls them and brings in, brings in some bullpen arms. And he does have some talent there in, in the bullpen. And he did let Wojciechowski in a, a couple of starts ago pitch into the sixth inning. And the first batter he faced in the sixth inning, he gave up a home run. Same thing with Means the other day. So you kind of understand it. But I'd like to see him give a guy like Keegan Aiken the opportunity to show that he's mentally strong enough to get through that inning and not give up the lead. With that in mind, talking about mentally strong enough, not sure how mentally strong this guy is. Aroldis Chapman throwing up Brousseau's head down in Tampa Bay, 101 mile an hour fastball. That if it wouldn't have killed the guy, it probably it would have concussed him. It would it would have put him on the injured list. Throwing at the guy's head. This Aroldis Chapman is a known woman abuser, which I, you shouldn't be allowed to play, in my opinion. I'm I'm so strongly against that. And you want to sound off on this because what they're doing and how Major League Baseball is handling a role this Chapman is just, in my opinion, simply bad for the game. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of guys who throw at guys. It's never right in any situation to throw at someone. Obviously, there's been a lot of Astros that have gotten thrown at because of the cheating scandal, and it happens a lot. Manny Machado was thrown at at his head a couple years ago by you know multiple Red Sox pitchers, but to throw at someone's head and to put their life in literal danger with a 101 mile an hour fastball out of the hand of Errolis Chapman is absolutely nuts. I can't fathom throwing at someone's head. This could have killed Mike Brasso. It could have killed him if it hits him. And Chapman, like you, like you said, is a known woman abuser. He's had multiple suspensions on and off the field. He's got problems in his history. Like you said, I don't know if he should even be able to play at all. It's it's kind of ridiculous. He's still in baseball. And, you know, he's only given a three-game suspension by Major League Baseball. This is what gets me the most. We're suspending guys 80 games for uh, PEDs, which, which I get. PEDs are not right. They're not good for the game. But to suspend a guy three games for kind of attempting to kill someone, 
and to suspend someone for 80 games for PEDs, it just doesn't make sense. MLB needs to cater these suspensions more to the situation. I, this is this is unbelievable to me that Chapman's getting three games, and he actually had the nerve to appeal it. Like, he wasn't trying to throw 101 miles an hour at Mike Bross's head. It's unbelievable to me. This whole situation is ridiculous. Uh, I'd like to see Chapman take some responsibility and apologize to all the fans and Mike Brasso first and foremost. Because this, is, this is just a nutty situation. Well, absolutely. And I, I don't have the highest of opinions of Arolis Chapman. As I do is. not either. I, I think he's a coward, and I don't think that he's uh, I don't I don't think he's ever going to take responsibility for anything. And before we get our next guest on the line, I just want to point out that we do have Stan the Fan Charles, who's going to be on the show here in a matter of seconds. Uh, at 10.50, we have Thomas Hardy, who covers the Rockies for MLB.com. And at 11.35, we have Dan Connolly, who covers the Orioles for The Athletic. But right now, we have Stan the Fan Charles on the line. Stan, how are you this morning? I'm great. How are you guys doing? We're doing pretty well. And we were just talking about Aroldis Chapman throwing up Rousseau's head and only getting a three-game suspension. What are your thoughts on on what Chapman did and how Major League Baseball has handled him thus far. Uh, well, while I don't, I don't quite agree with Zach that he shouldn't be allowed to play baseball. Um, but uh, I think three games is a little ridiculous. Uh, uh, even given the condensed version of 2020 baseball, I could have seen a ten-game suspension for that. I thought that was pretty flagrant, uh, and. Uh, you know, it warranted more than three games. Absolutely. 101-mile-an-hour fastball, let, let's be honest, that's a deadly weapon coming out of coming out of Chapman's hand. And if that if that connects with Brousseau's head, thank God it didn't. Because I, yep. I, I would hate to see what would have happened if it had. It, it would have been, been tragic, I think. Uh, I'm not sure it would have been tragic, but it would have certainly been – if he had – hit him at 101 miles an hour in the head, uh, the, the suspension would have been far greater than Absolutely. a miss. And it wasn't a miss by anything that Chapman uh, attempted to do. It was a miss because somehow Brasso picked it up and was able to get out of the way. Yeah, Stan, more what I mean about not playing in baseball is not playing in baseball this year. I think he definitely should have been suspended for the year. It's just unacceptable to me. This can't happen. Uh, I... I don't really disagree with you on that. Um, you know, um, the precedent, though, for not hitting somebody, for attempting to hit somebody, the precedent usually isn't far greater than what he got. Well, moving on now to some to some Orioles pitchers who nobody in the Orioles um, organization right now throws 101, so we don't have to worry about anything like that. <laughs> Uh, Keegan Aiken got a chance to start the other day. He went four and a third innings, uh, gave up two unearned runs. Zach and I were just talking about this right before he came on the program, Stan. Uh, what did you see from that Keegan Aiken start, and how did you feel about Hyde pulling him out the first time he got in, into any kind of trouble? Uh, I, I, first of all, I don't think he has any problem at all with uh, being pulled out after, you know, the first sign of trouble. Uh, he's, you know, given given the nature of this season that he's not really built up tremendously to pitch seven or eight innings. Uh, I don't think there's any upset on his part or a feeling like, oh, my manager should have more confidence in me. I thought it was a, uh, uh, almost, uh, close to brilliant, uh, debut by Keegan Aiken. I was very surprised at his poise use of the breaking ball, um, sneaky, 
Uh, you know, it's hard to say when somebody throws 94-95 that's sneaky fast, but I didn't quite know he he commanded that type of speed. Uh, I thought it was a, a very, very good performance and uh, was one of the real positive signs of 2020 because clearly uh, we're going to have a far different rotation in 2021 than we did having going into this season. Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of the things I wanted to talk with you about today. Uh, we ha- we've seen Keegan Aiken. We haven't seen the likes of, of Dean Kramer or Bruce Zimmerman or Michael Ballman yet. We've been told that they might make their debuts this year. Do you think that that's something that we can see because that we could see because the Orioles rotation is in a state of flux moving into next year, and we have no idea who's going to be part of that next year aside from Alex Cobb unless he gets traded at the, de- at the uh, winter meetings? Well, um, I think they're they're slowly piecing it together for 2021. Um, I, you know, this Cobb injury is, uh, you know, it's just more, it's sort of more of the same as Cobb's contract. And, you know, by all intents and purposes, I hear Alex is a terrific guy. Uh, this contract just hasn't worked out at all. It's a four-year, $57 million contract. In digging into it a little bit, I do see that the Orioles have $20,250,000 of it deferred for four years from 2022 to 2025. So that will make the cash he's owed next year be somewhere in the range of $7.5 million. I didn't know that. Uh, This was the big year of the contract cash-wise. He was due to make $21 million cash-wise this season, uh, and instead, the prorated amount is $4 million. But I'm talking about the money because, to me, he's at this point in time with uh, this news that he's on the disabled list with an unspecified injury or timetable for return means that most likely his 2020 season is done and he becomes even a bigger suspect uh, for 2021. I do not believe... <clears throat> I guess the fact that the Orioles owe the deferrals and he's only owed $7.5 million cash could make him tradable, but that would have been if he showed something this year. You know, and after his first three starts of this year, I was pretty optimistic, but let's look at his last four starts uh, of his seven starts this year. The last four starts, he's pitched 21 innings. His ERA is 5.57. His whip is 147, and in those 21 innings, he has just nine strikeouts. His first 14 innings, he had 15 strikeouts. And and those strikeout numbers, to me, mean something because of how I see so little life in what he's throwing the last few starts. And it's not surprising that the ERA is where it is. Uh, He's given up five home runs in 35 innings, which isn't great for a starting pitcher. It's one out of every seven innings. Uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a terrible contract it turned out to be. I liked it when we signed them. Uh, I, the money didn't bother me because I wasn't paying it, but uh, they certainly paid him top dollar at the time, given where the free agent market was and when they signed him. And it's a shame it has just hasn't worked out. 
Yeah, Stan, we, we mentioned it before, but with Kramer and Zimmerman and Bauman and, and all those prospects that are down at the Bowie camp, do you think that you know having those guys down there is more beneficial to their development and having them learn and pitch more often than having them in the Major League bullpen right now? Well, I, I expect that we're going to see Kramer make a start up here. Um, it's sort of been not leaked, but you know the information you're hearing is that he's been pretty impressive at the uh, alternate training site. Um, uh, I think Zimmerman will probably come up, but I would think he might sort of take take a, a bullpen role, maybe like the role that Blyer had or something like that. Uh, for the last couple weeks of the season. But I think Kramer might get, especially with this news, the Cobbs on the IL, I think it opens the way for um, for uh, Kramer to get his first start. I agree. I think that, that we could see Kramer get a couple of starts here before the season ends. Only about three weeks left in the season. Uh, another guy that we thought might have been traded the deadline, but he just didn't play enough and certainly didn't play enough at his position, is Jose Iglesias. Went into Friday night hitting 405 with seven straight multi-hit games. Uh, guy who has walked once, been hit by a pitch once, um, yet his batting average on balls in play is right around 390, according to Kevin Brown, who posted that on Twitter yesterday. Is this a guy who you see being part of the Orioles uh, team next year and maybe even in the years after? Because they don't really have a ton of depth at shortstop in the in the organization. Well, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I would think, I, I would love to see the Orioles sign Iglesias, uh, sort of tear this contract up or extend it two years. I think he's only 30 years old right now. Uh, he might just have turned 31, but, I mean, this is a guy who, uh, and despite the fact he's had this quad injury, they're just very nagging injuries. I don't think mm-hmm. that shows any sort of uh, injury problem with uh, with Iglesias. I, I would not think it would be a bad idea to try and uh, extend him, like, one or two years on his contract, because I think shortstop is really a key position and and despite the fact that Velasquez is a decent defender, uh, and Vallejo's gone over there, uh, you clearly see how much better they are when he's in there playing defense. Um, that play he made at the end of the game Monday was, uh, you know, if it wasn't a Monday afternoon in Buffalo in a in a you know uh, a gerrymandered season like this. They'd be talking about that as an incredibly great play of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very reminiscent, and even probably a better play, although the stakes were not as high than Derek Jeter made. Yeah, uh, because he really don't say that to Yankees he, fans. What's that? I said, don't say that to Yankees fans. No, don't say that to Yankee fans. That's true, but but in other words, he really had to sort of be paying attention to what was going on and understand that he was all that stood between victory and and uh, defeat, you know, or, or at least a tie game. So it was a brilliant play by him. Uh, I like the guy. Um, I'd love to, to ask Mike Elias or somebody, but there's no point in it. Like, just who was saying all those bad things about him as a teammate? I've seen no, not that I spent any one-on-one time with Jose, but I've seen no sign that he's anything but a real professional. 
I haven't seen anything from, uh, uh, along those lines from him either, and maybe it's just the competitor uh, competitor in him that came out. You you can't really speak to it because I, we haven't seen it. But I know me my as a competitor myself, I expect certain a certain level of competition from or a certain level of play from my teammates, and maybe that was something that he wasn't getting. But again, we can't speak to it because we we don't know. What I do know is that I don't expect Jose Iglesias to go out there and hit. You know, 350 for the Orioles in the future. But if if he can play the same caliber defense that he's played in his limited time at shortstop this year, up the middle for them in 2021, 2022, while we wait for the Jordan Westbergs and and Anthony Cervadeos and Gunnar Hendrickson's of the world to come up to the major league roster, I think it's definitely something worth exploring. Uh, I think it's worth exploring, and it's interesting because I know one of the topics you wanted to talk about was the return we got in these trades. Right. Um, Karen Vavra is a very interesting player, uh, and shortstop is his primary position, and he's, while he's not ready, major league ready today, um, you could see Karen Vavra probably fighting for a spot that's held by Velasquez or, or Valeka uh, next year. You know, listen, Valeka's been a, a nice little uh, addition to this team. Uh, but when you look at the history of a player and you look at his own base percentage, and it's, it, you know, for his major league career, it's in the 280s, that's not a great sign, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not over a very small sample size. It's over about three seasons that he played with the Rockies. So there's a little bit of a track record there that holds up. And look, Velasquez, you know, one day I was at, um, I went to one uh, game at Port Charlotte when I was in spring training. And I walked away going, who the hell was that guy playing in center field? He was so athletic. And I found out who it was. And I said, boy, he's really a good defender. And at the time, that's all I had seen him play was that that day in center field. Uh, I hadn't seen him play in the infield. He's a he's a good defensive player, but boy, he seems to come up to bat whenever uh, whenever there's a, a rally uh, going for the Orioles and seems to kill it. Uh, he's he's really not much of a stick at all. So you would like to think that by next year, Vavra might be a guy who's vying for major league time and at a higher caliber of overall player than Valeka or or, uh, Velasquez. And that's not to demean them, and it's not to say that I still don't like the idea of Iglesias signing an extension, but I think you could project that Vavra is a very interesting piece in 2022 uh, if they don't do what you and I are saying they could do with Iglesias. I think your point is interesting, Stan, about you know having Valeka not on the roster next year and a few of these bubble guys not be on there because the Orioles do have to add about eight or nine guys to the 40-man roster next year to protect them from the Rule 5 draft. And I think you would see less guys like Richie Martin, but I, w- I would be interested to see what your take is on Richie Martin returning next year because I- it seems to me like the Orioles really like him and want him to take over at shortstop in the near future. You know, that's a that's an interesting player that I just hadn't been thinking about this morning, uh, Richie Martin, because he would be on the food chain. I think the the real food chain would be Iglesias at short, uh, Richie Martin back up, 
and and this Vavra as maybe the the guy, you know. But it, it's interesting to me uh, that, and, and I know Stevie Wilkerson got hurt, so it wasn't a decision by by caliber of play. But I think Valeka a much a much better overall player than Steve Wilkerson, and I have a feeling Vavra is better than Wilkerson or um, uh, Wilkerson or, or Martin. You know, I, I, I like what I'm reading about Vavra. He seems like a really nice player. Yeah, I, I think that the Orioles anticipate him when they made that deal. They anticipate him being an everyday player for them, yeah. if, if maybe not next year, then by 2022. And we were talking about this. They don't have, aside from maybe Adam Ho- Adam Hall or Mason McCoy, they don't have yeah. a lot of depth at second base. So if he doesn't no, stick at shortstop, he can go in the second. You know, uh, you know as, as a Hanser Alberto suddenly becomes a, a $4 million to $5 million player in the next two years, you could see Hanser being as much as I like him. Uh you could see him being used in a deal or, or something like that, you know. Well, and let's let's talk a little bit about Hanser Alberto then, because I've there's not there's not a lot of people that seem very high on the guy. He has terrible exit velocity, but it just seems to get hit after hit after hit, hitting well over 300 again this year. Yeah, he and he's not old. He doesn't seem to factor into the Orioles' future plans, but but should he? Because he gets he he hits so he doesn't walk. But he hits over 300 every year, and he plays okay defense at second base. Not great, but okay at second base. Yeah, uh, listen, Hunter is, is not a bad – Hunter's a really nice nice little player, right, to kind of put it that way. But as his, as his service time, you know, steps up, he's going to earn more money, and you just – you know, you, you realize where this team is going. They're going to get better with guys like Mountcastle. You know, they're they're high end uh, offensive players, and they're they're not going to be wanting to pay the Hanser Albertos of the world like five million dollars. I just don't. You know, the way they balked at VR at eight million, they're going to. That's that's where the rubber hits the road with Hanser. Is I don't think they see him more than a three million dollar ball player. You know. Yeah, Stan, he was he was arbitration eligible in 2020, which is before a lot of the guys in this Orioles roster. There's only about six or seven that are making more than the league minimum, and they reached a $1.65 million deal this year. But obviously the Orioles want to keep the payroll low, and they've unloaded a lot of contracts in the past few years. And, you know, if, if Hanser reaches four or five, they could definitely look to be trading him. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, and again, I don't know what the return would be for Hanser. Uh, yeah, probably, I probably not think, much. I, I certainly think he'll be with the team next year. There's no question about it. you got to like a guy. I'm looking at his baseball reference page. You know what his nickname is? No, what's that? Radio. <laughs> you know what? I Check did out. see that. I'm not sure where it came from. I wonder where that came from. Yeah, that would be a good question to ask him. <laughs> so Very interesting. Another trade that the Orioles made, we, we well, it, actually, we'll stick with the Givens trade for right now because they got Taron Vavra from there, and they also got Tyler Nevin, uh, and they said that he would probably be the everyday starting first baseman for the Norfolk Tides if there was a minor league season, which means he's probably their first baseman going into next year. Where does, 
how does Tyler Nevin profile, and do you see him having a big role on this team moving forward um, once his, as his career progresses? Well, I think that the caliber of players they got, and, and aren't there, aren't we supposed to get a player to be named later in this too? Yes, we are. In, in the Givens deal, and I would imagine, given the quality of Vavra and Nevin, that that third player might be um, might end up being cash or or like a 17- or 18-year-old international guy or something like that. I don't think we're getting a better player than these two. Nevin is a, an interesting player. Um, he's definitely got the hit tool, uh, and he's got, he projects with some power. Um, you know, the interesting thing is his dad, who's the third-base coach in the New York Yankees, Bill Nevin, was actually the number one pick many, many years ago when the Houston Astros had the number one pick and elected not to pick the the um, the number one prospect, which was Jeffrey Hammond. So Jeffrey Hammond fell to the Orioles at number four uh, because the Astros didn't want to pay um, pay the kind of dollars it was going to take to uh, sign to sign him. They drafted Phil Nevin, and then Phil Nevin, when he was... Uh, an established major leaguer turned down a con- turned down a trade to the Orioles when he was with the San Diego Padres. So a little bit of Baltimore history there with Tyler Nevin. But this is again, uh, I, I think the quality of Vavra and Nevin for Givens was a really nice return. Um, you know, uh, so I, I like those two guys. Yeah, I, I thought it was a nice return too, and. Now I'm wondering, what about the return for Miguel Castro? Because they got Kevin Smith, a six foot five lefty, throws in the low 90s with a, a developing changeup, a nice late breaking slider. Doesn't throw hard for a six foot five lefty. I think they also got a player to be named later in that deal too. I could. They did, yeah, yeah. So, what are you your know, thoughts on that? It's interesting. It's interesting with Smith uh, because most of what the Orioles do is collect arms that we all project in these trades. They, they sort of collect arms that we go, well, he'll make a nice guy at the back end of the bullpen. You know, hopefully if he projects, he can be a high leverage guy, maybe not a closer. But this guy is one of the first guys that they've acquired, uh, that Elias has acquired, who to me projects as a starting pitcher. Uh, and, you know, I don't think you have to go real far to imagine what he looks like. He looks to me and sounds like he's a little like the guy that came in in relief for the Mets the other day and shut down the Orioles for four-plus innings. I think that was David Peterson. Uh, yes, it, it was. It was. Yeah. I, you know, this, this is a guy, Kevin Smith looks like a guy who knows how to pitch. He's pitched 140 innings in the minor league level to a 2.75 uh, ERA, a 1.17 whip, and uh, hold opponents to 237 batting average. Only allowed seven home runs in 140 innings, which is one out of every 20 innings pitch, which if you go back to the player I was talking about, uh, I think it was Cobb that was throwing, giving up one out of every seven innings. Right. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty damn good. Uh, in 2018, when they drafted him out of Georgia, he, he appeared in 12 games uh, for the rookie league team, made three starts. But by 2019, uh, he made 17 starts at high A ball 
and gave up five home runs and 85 innings there, then made six starts at Binghamton, which is the equivalent of Bowie, and gave up one home run in 31 innings pitched there and threw to a 3.45 ERA. I think you, if you project if this had been a regular season, Kevin Smith would have started at Binghamton for the Mets and been pushing to be at their AAA team by midseason. So, again, that probably means he falls into that group that will be vying for an opportunity at Norfolk next year. I think he's an excellent return as well for Miguel Castro. Yeah, it seems like Mike Elias did a really great job to get a lot of value out of the guys that we kind of all expected to be traded in Malone, Castro, and Givens. We don't know what we got for what the Orioles got for Malone just yet because it's a player to be named later or cash considerations. Didn't boat, didn't uh, do too well down in his first start for Atlanta, but um, he bounced back. He bounced back last night though, pitched fairly well. Also, I believe it's two player to be named later. So one might yeah. end up being cash, and then one – we'll just have to see how it goes. Right. Yeah, I don't think it, the return on him is going to be too too great. I yeah. wouldn't expect it to be, especially since he was a guy who signed a minor league contract with an invitation to spring training, back in spring training, you know. From that Look, to opening day start, a big key trade if, piece. If that starting rotation is as suspect – I don't think it's quite as suspect for next year as you think it is. But if it is – I guarantee you the Orioles can re-sign him for, uh, you know, $750 to $1 million, you know, uh, and bring him back. And I'll tell you, the manager spoke glowingly of Tommy Malone, you know, as the kind of person he was, the kind of teammate he was, and he made the point of saying he told him, I'd love to manage you again sometime. So uh, don't rule that out. But I don't think the rotation is as sort of suspect as you think. I think it's taking some shape right now. Uh, this George Lopez, uh, manager Brandon Hyde really likes him, so I think you can project him in this rotation next year, along with, I, I think, Wojciechowski pitches well enough to project to be here another season, and I think Keegan Aiken is certainly there, and you, and means. So, um, you know, that's four-fifths of a rotation right there. Whether Cobb is able to go or not, I don't know. But I don't think there's going to be any chance at all that the ball club is going to be able to move Cobb. You're probably right. And for Keegan Aiken, it's going to be a tough go going against Garrett Cole tonight. But hopefully, you know, he can he can come through and pitch well against that Yankees lineup. It's a little bit yeah. depleted right now. You know, Cole Cole hasn't been a world beater this year. He hasn't. Yeah, he's he's been merely he's been merely good. Uh, but he hasn't been a world beater, so maybe he's feeling some of that Yankee pressure on his shoulders. Perhaps, perhaps. Stan, great stuff as always. we got to get a break here, but thank you for joining the All show. Right. Have, have a, a great, great Labor Day. Say hi to Dan Connolly for me. I will. Talk have, to you soon, guys. Have a great Labor Day weekend. You're doing we'll a great job. You're doing a great job. Thank Thanks. you, sir. Talk soon. Bye-bye. And once again, that was Stan the Fan Charles joining us for his weekly segment here on the Bat Around. And if you're missing your Stan the Fan fix, you can get it twice a week on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley talk baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein talk to a newsmaker in the sports world. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with legendary former Oriole Ken Singleton, while Stan and Gary chatted with UMBC Athletic Director Brian Barrio. 
find both shows via the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at pressboxonline.com. The guys are off this Monday night for the Labor Day holiday, but on September 14th, they'll be joined by Gary Kendall, who has been running the Orioles alternate, alternate camp in Bowie. So that's a show you definitely want to tune into on September 14th. Once again, Stan is off this Monday for the Labor Day holiday. When we get back, we're going to talk to a uh, to the Rockies beat writer for MLB.com, Thomas Hardy. Until then, we got to get a break, and we'll talk to him right afterwards. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka profiles potential breakout Ravens star Hollywood Brown and the relationship he's developed with Lamar Jackson, a fellow South Florida native. Also inside, Bill Ordeen helps remember legendary superfan Mo Gabba, and Luke Jackson looks at the challenge the Ravens will have to keep their roster together long term. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Baltimore's favorite bar, Sliders Bar and Grill, is now open. Just across the street from Camden Yards, Sliders is open, and they've added new menu items, new frozen cocktails, and new 32-ounce beers. If you're not ready to go out just yet, you can still order from Sliders Carryout Menu, and they still have liter bottles of hand sanitizer available for just $15. Call 443-835-0906 or 410-547-8891 or visit slidersbaltimore.com. We'll see you this summer at Sliders. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate y'all. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Glenn and Kyle, two diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We are hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. (laughs) Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Glory Days Grill's summer seasonal menu is now available for dine-in, dine-out on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new knockout shrimp or the delicious lobster roll with grilled corn made with real Maine lobster. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and stay positive during this challenging time in our community. 
All right, welcome back to the Bat Around with Paul Valley and my co-host Zach Goodman. And now joining the show, he covers the Rockies for MLB.com. We have the one and only Thomas Harding. Thomas, how you doing today? I feel good. I feel clean um, out here in Denver where I think it's going to be 98 degrees, but they're actually calling for snow by Tuesday. 98 degrees today and snow by Tuesday. That's Colorado weather for you, man. Yes, that's bizarre. That is truly bizarre. So, we have you on the line right now because the Orioles, they traded Michael Givens to the Rockies for Taron Vavra and Phil Nevin. Of course, Givens went out and gave up that two-run homer to break the tie last night against the Dodgers. And we'll talk about that Rockies bullpen here in just a minute. But what can you tell us about what the Rockies' expectations are for Givens? And does this mean that they're kind of they're going for trying to make the playoffs for the third time in the last four years? Oh, yeah, they are. They're trying because what happened earlier in this year, Wade Davis was their closer. He gets a shoulder injury. He isn't back yet. Scott Oberg um, finished last year with some blood clots that needed surgery. They showed up again, so he's not going to pitch this year. So you went from a group that they liked pretty well at the back end to real holes back there. So they needed Gibbons because what was – what was happening was they were able to get Daniel Bard, you know, back after, what, seven years? They're able to get him to be the closer here, and some of the younger relievers at times showed um, some promise. At times, they've struggled, like Carlos Estevez last night. But what, um, what they needed was a veteran type uh, to pitch late in the game, not necessarily to close it, just to give them another body back there. I still don't think they have enough. Uh, frankly, toward the end of the game, but Gibbons has helped them. Um, he, he helped them against the Giants uh, a couple days ago. I guess that was three days ago. And no, no, that was yeah, that was three days ago. Sorry, my days are running together. That's all right. Last night, um, he gave up the home run that that broke the tie. But they were able to get a grand slam from Kevin Pillar. But listen, what happens with the Rockies in Los Angeles? Um, it always falls apart whenever they're playing out there. It seems no matter who it is on the mound, no matter who it is hitting. Well, make no mistake, the Dodgers are the best team in baseball, so a lot of teams fall apart against them. The problem with the Rockies, going into Friday night, their, their bullpen ERA was 6.58, team ERA was 5.51, and then the bullpen just basically, after Kevin Pillar hit that grand slam in the eighth inning, the bullpen comes in and gives up three home runs in the eighth inning, five runs to the Dodgers, they end up losing that game 10-6. to It seems to me like they might need more than Michael Givens to, to get that bullpen back on track and make a run for the playoffs here. Uh, yeah, uh, of course, you know, no, no one's coming. Uh, they, they maybe get getting Wade Davis back would help some, but um, if you look at the, the misery against the Dodgers, they lost 17 of the last 18 out there. Um, last year, they were times in a series by that they had, had better really good players. Uh, they were walked off from earlier this year also. So a lot of that bullpen, you know, exactly so there, we're, we're losing you. Yeah, you still with me? Yeah, we, we got you. Okay, the starting rotation um, started off pretty well, and they've hit a snag here, and it's forced more use of the bullpen, and that's what's driving the number up. Um, a lot of times when I look at a bullpen, I don't necessarily look at the overall number. I look at the guys that they use as they're trying to win a ball game, because sometimes um, you'll send guys out there to absorb a defeat. But... A lot of those guys right now aren't um, aren't necessarily performing consistently for the Rockies. 
Thomas, what do you think the kind of vision is for the Rockies right now? Obviously, they're 11 games back in the West right now, and they're making that playoff push. You know, they went out and they bought for Givens, and the farm system is not one of the top systems in the league. What do you kind of think the vision is right now for the Rockies? Yeah, that's, that's going to be a question going into the offseason because unless they can get some impact players that are young, it's really hard to go forward as they do. But if they're able to win, and able, they do have relatively young starting pitching. So if they're able to do well, you can justify kind of keeping this group together. If not, if it all falls apart, they have to ask some tough questions like, uh, do you trade some of your best assets? And the guy I'm looking at is Trevor Story, who has one more year left on a big contract, but, uh, but it's manageable for a big market team. Do you try to trade him and get in multiple parts to try to, uh, make, to, to, you know, try to be better for a longer period of time? So uh, right now, I think it's questionable. I mean, they look like a team that, when you look at the lineup, especially the star players in the lineup, they should be better than they are. They Those be. guys haven't performed either. They, they absolutely should be. I look at a guy like John Gray, who is a highly touted prospect, and he, he's in his sixth or seventh big league season now, and he, he just, to me, he is, he is underperformed. He's had a couple of years with a sub-four ERA, but I feel like he spent a lot of time on the injured list, and when he has been pitched, especially this year, he ha- just hasn't been effective. Well, I think that's why he went to the injury list yesterday. What we saw last year from John Gray especially, I mean, um, and, and you look at ERAs at Coors Field, if you have a sub-four at Coors Field, it's like a two somewhere else, and he had that last year. Um, this year, when I look, when you watch him and you look at the game-by-game, game, it's been excellent start followed by awful start. Then yesterday, they put him on the injury list, and I was asking this question this week because – you look at Gray's um, four-seam fastball. He, he usually averages about 96 miles an hour, and it was down in the 93 range, and something was not right, and I know he talked about it. I just can't get the velocity. I can't snap my slider. And finally they put him on the injured list, and he had been trying to pitch through shoulder problems. Yeah, you would like for him to be fully healthy and not have the foot injuries that he's had a couple times and just see what happens. Or is he a guy you trade and um, take the risk that being out of this atmosphere makes him a better pitcher? Well, and you you mentioned trades. Like, do you trade John Gray? Do you trade Trevor Story? Back in January, there was a big story about how Nolan Arenado was pretty upset with Rockies brass, uh, namely GM Jeff Brittich. He had just signed 11 months prior an eight-year, $260 million contract, and then he learned that British was floating his name in, in trade proposals. Has that kind of fallen by the wayside? Uh, have, they, have they kind of mended fences there, or is Arenado still kind of disappointed with the Rockies franchise? Well, I think I, I, I think everything that's happened since then has kind of put all of that on the back burner. I expect it to come back up this offseason. Here's the issue, though. Um, baseball's going through this this full season with no revenue coming in essentially from fans. Um, we don't know what it's going to be like next year. I don't know if very many teams that could absorb that contract in a trade. I mean, that, that's the big question with that. I mean, and if they did absorb that in a trade, would they give up the house for them? So I don't know that he is tradable. Um, last year, yeah, l- last year was just weird. I mean, right after signing that contract and the team had a bad year, 
everything kind of fell apart between Breidich and Arenado. So I guess we'll see what happens this offseason, but it looks like more of the same, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it, I just... It seems like the Rockies, the offense is always there. And when you have names like Charlie Blackman and Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story, the offense is going to be there. It's just, it, it seems to me they've never been able to get their pitching on track. Like you said, they started this year fairly well with their rotation. But aside from you know Gray and Marquez, I just don't see any names in that rotation. Now, I'm not as familiar with the, with the Rockies' top 30 uh, prospects list, but it seems like their top pitching prospects, you have to go down to about 10 uh, in their top 30 before you find anybody w- uh, of note. Well, I will say that um, that their best pitcher this year has been Kyle Freeland, who really, for the, until the last two starts, kind of got back to where he was. And if you look at Antonio Sensatella last night, I mean, you, you've seen his three of his last four starts be really good, and he's the guy they've been working at. This rotation's been together for about four years, right. and the two years they went to the playoffs, it was a very good rotation, especially one through four. So that's why they always... That, that's why this current group believes they can win because they do have some starting pitching. But when you look at the names in the lineup, those guys haven't performed. Um, Charlie Blackman started off uh, hitting 500, but really it's it's dropped down lately. Arenado has had a really bad year. Trevor Story started off well. He's not really producing the RBIs that he was producing earlier. So a lot of what's going on, even though the pitching numbers look bad, it really started with the lineup not scoring runs. Right, and th- they added Kevin Pillar. And Kevin Pillar, you know, yeah. he's, more, he's more known for his glove than his bat, but he's been a really nice offensive addition to this ball club. It, uh, it was, I believe, Wednesday or Thursday he hit that, that, um, that RBI triple that gave the Rockies the lead. Uh, he had a grand slam last night that gave the Rockies a lead temporarily in that eighth inning against the Dodgers. Is he exceeding the expectations that the Rockies and their fans had for him? Well, it's funny. I, I talked to someone who had been with him in Toronto um, and, and, and really knew him well. And, yes, he is known for the glove much more than the bat. But the, the point that was made was that if he's not chasing pitches out of the strike zone, he is a very good offensive piece to have. And you saw that in Boston this year, even though that franchise was going nowhere. Um, and, and it's continued here, at least early on. So, yeah, he... In a temporary situation, he really makes a difference. Um, he's, the contract is up at the end of the year, and I don't know if they can afford him because I remember checking last winter, just calling around with my baseball sources, and I mentioned Kevin Pillar, and I was and I was given a list of much lower priced players that the Rockies couldn't afford then. So I so Kevin Pillar is there to try to get them over the top right now. Well, I am all for. Kevin Pillar re-signing in Colorado because everybody in Baltimore wants Pillar out of the American League East. So if you guys keep him, I think we'll all be happy here in Birdland. Um, Speaking of Birdland, the Orioles, we mentioned at the beginning of your segment that they made that trade uh, with uh, trading Givens for Taron Vavra and uh, Tyler Nevin. Vavra has a really great hit tool profiles as a middle middle infielder, um, as an everyday player, really. Tyler Nevin, big power bat, nice pedigree with uh, Phil Nevin, that superstar slugger uh, in his days with the Padres. What can you tell us about each of these players, and what are the Orioles getting uh, in this trade? Well, first of all, if the fans in Baltimore remember Phil Nevin as a player, 
understand that Tyler Nevin is completely different. Um, and, and Tyler and I have talked about this. Uh, his, the, the Nevins, um, obviously, Phil, you knew his career. His wife um, and Tyler's mom was a great volleyball player, you know, a, a lot taller, kind of more graceful athletically. That's what Tyler is right now. Tyler is a he's growing, but you see a guy that can run a little bit. You see a guy that can play all four corners of the field, and the bat should be coming. I mean, you started to see it last year, really, and what a lot of the Rockies people talked about also was they saw a physical, mental makeup of a guy that could become a star. So that, that, that's someone that the Orioles hope pops for them. And, and shows and it shows some power. Um, Barbara, I, everything I've heard about him says this guy is one of those gamer kind of uh, tough guys, but more talent than that because usually you associate that with somebody who lacks a lot of physical ability. Right. This guy does have a nice bat. Um, I think his father was a coach, and he knows he knows the game well. The question about him: Can he play short? Or will he be a second baseman in the major leagues? But a lot of the people that I've talked to feel like he's going to be a good player, a solid lineup piece, and maybe even a little bit better than that. So the Orioles did get a couple of very good ball players out of this, and it's not normal for the Rockies to trade their top prospects like that. Well, and, and it certainly does seem like the. I thought when I saw the trade that the Orioles got a haul for Michael Givens. Now Givens is, you know, he's still fairly young at 30 years old. has a has a power arm coming out of that bullpen, and he has experience pitching in the playoffs. He was he was part of those playoff team, the playoff team in 2016 with the Orioles. So I think that the Rockies got got fair value in getting Givens for those two players. You know, we certainly hope that what you say about Nevin and Vavra is true for the Orioles, and you know. This has been a, a really nice segment for us having you on the show, Thomas. We really appreciate you joining us. And honestly, I'm pulling for the Rockies to make the playoffs because I think it's always a good story for Major League Baseball when the Rockies are in the playoffs. Well, what I'm pulling for is with a 16-team playoff, is somebody, whether it's the Rockies or somebody else, a lower seed going on and going a long way in the playoffs, maybe even winning it. I mean, I think of the Stanley Cup playoffs in hockey, and that's what I want to see. Now, um, I think that the baseball purists would prob- are probably you know, throwing away their breakfast right now hearing me say that, but I think it's good for the game to see uh, teams that are in smaller markets maybe catch fire and really upset things at the end. Hey, like you said, the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. But they still haven't won a World Series since 1988, and it would be an interesting story if they got upset by a lower season playoff. Well, the Dodgers were the best team in baseball last year, and they, they got upset by the Nationals in the playoffs. Could be the Rockies do it this year. They, they're following a similar path where the offense is, is kind of carrying the team and the bullpen isn't great, but once they get to the playoffs, they can mix and match because you don't have to have a five-man rotation. You only need two or three. So the Rockies could make some noise if they get there. Yeah, that's, that's it. And I guess, I guess right now, as badly as they've played for really almost a month here, which is a, a huge chunk of the season, they're ninth in that um, 18. They're, they're ninth, so they're barely outside the playoffs this morning. Well, hopefully uh, Pilar and Givens can get them over that hump. And if they do, if the Rockies win and if they make the playoffs, Thomas, we'd love to have you back on the program. Hey, I'd love to talk to the people of Baltimore again. All right, sounds great. Thanks for joining the show, Thomas. We'll talk to you soon, all right? Thanks for having me. All right, take care.
That was Thomas Harding. He covers the Rockies for MLB.com. Really nice segment from Thomas there. It's, it's The Rockies being in the playoffs, in my opinion, it, it really is just good for, good for the game. I remember when they went to the World Series back in uh, 2008 against, against the Rays. It was super exciting to see them then. I think the playoff baseball in Colorado is so interesting because – that's just a team that's going to mash year in and year out. And when you get to see that in October, I just think it's it's a ton of fun. Yeah, they, they remind me of the Orioles in a lot of ways, I think. You know, they, they've always had those power bats up and down their lineup, and the pitching's always been kind of mediocre, and the bullpen's always been mediocre as well. And they have a park. Coors Field is a ton of fun. I mean, you know, Coors Field, balls go 450 on the daily there, which is pretty crazy. And obviously, Oriole Park at Camden Yard is uh, yards is, is the, pretty much the same way. You know, balls always fly out of that park, too. So very similar uh, very tim- similar teams, and, uh, you know, I'd like to see them back in the playoffs. Well, certainly. And those, uh, those Rockies teams are definitely good for fantasy baseball. Now, if you need your fantasies fulfilled or you need your fantasy football lineup filled anyway, Pressbox's own Ken Zalas is the number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country. Wow, did not know that. And he joins Glenn and Kyle every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the Pressbox Fantasy Football Show. Listen to the show at pressboxonline.com slash radio or watch the show and get your own fantasy questions in at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. That's the Pressbox Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalas every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Brought to you by CCBC uh, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. We're going to get a break, and when we get back, we're going to go into the batter round, not the batter round, I'm sorry, the payoff pitch around the league here on the batter round with Paul Valley and Zach Goodman. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to Army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Glory Days Grill's summer seasonal menu is now available for dine-in, dine-out on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new knockout shrimp or the delicious lobster roll with grilled corn made with real Maine lobster. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and stay positive during this challenging time in our community. The biggest pro wrestling star 
stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. Good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le Champion! Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to the Battle Round. I'm Paul Valley with my co-host Zach Goodman sitting in here today. Special thank you to Thomas Hardy who just joined the show. Really gave us a lot of great intel about the Rockies. Uh, like I said, always good for baseball when the Rockies are in the thick of things. Now we're going to get to the payoff pitch around the league here. Bear with me. Friday was a crazy day. In Major League Baseball, there were 20 games. First time since the 1970s, there were 20 games played in one day. There were five doubleheaders, including the Orioles doubleheader with the Yankees. So bear with me as we talk a little bit about what just happened around the league in Major League Baseball. Jorge Polanco and Josh Donaldson led off the bottom of the first inning with back-to-back home runs, and that was all the scoring the Twins needed as they beat the Tigers 2-0 in the first game of their doubleheader. In Game 2, Polanco chipped in four more hits to help lead the Twins to a doubleheader sweep 3-2 in eight innings. Luis Castillo struck out six over six solid innings. Stru- I'm sorry, struck out eight over six solid innings, and Nick Castellanos homered to lead the Reds over the Pirates 4-2 in the first game of their doubleheader. And then the second game, three hundred runs scored in, in Game 2 after a miscatch by Joey Votto in the fourth, and the Pirates held on to beat Cy Young hopeful Trevor Bauer 4-3. Travis Shaw contributed three hits, including his fourth home run to pace the Blue Jays as they outslugged the Red Sox 8-7 in Game 1. And in Game 2, Yairo Munoz, Munoz, who collected three hits in the first game, collected three more hits in Game 2 as the Red Sox salvaged a split with the Blue Jays 3-2. Ronald Acuna Jr. tied a franchise record with a 17th career leadoff home run, and the Braves never looked back as they took Game 1 7-1, handing the Nationals their 7th straight loss. In Game 2, Trey Turner homered and Michael Taylor drove in 3 as the Nationals outlasted the Braves 10-9. And that's it for the doubleheaders. Michael Perez hit a bases-clearing double in the 4th inning as the Rays scored 4 times in the inning to topple the Marlins 5-4. Keston Hero homered, doubled, and drove in 3 to lead the Brewers over Cleveland 7-1. Jake Arrieta bounced back, throwing 7 innings of 2-run ball to help the Phillies to their 5th straight win as they beat the Mets 5-3. The White Sox stayed white-hot, collecting 14 hits while beating the Royals 7-4. Hugh Darvish took a perfect game into the sixth and struck out 11 over seven innings while Wilson Contreras collected three hits and drove in all four runs as the Cubs beat the Cardinals 4-1. Darvish improved to 7-1 while lowering his ERA to 144 and firmly implanting himself as the front-runner for the NL Cy Young Award. Dylan Bundy, much to Orioles fans' chagrin, stole seven innings of two-run ball, but after the bullpen gave up three in the ninth, it took a Shohei Otani single in the 11th to walk it off for the Angels as they beat the Astros 6-5. to Surprise, surprise, another extra-inning West Coast game on a Friday night when I'm prepping for, uh, for our show on Saturday morning. J.P. Crawford homered and drove in three, and the Mariners won for the ninth time in 13 games, beating the Rangers 6-3. to 
Kevin Pillar hit an eighth-inning grand slam to turn a 5-2 deficit into a 6-5 lead, but that terrible Rockies bullpen allowed three eighth-inning home runs, and the Dodgers scored five in the inning to win their 30th game, 10-6. At 30-10, the Dodgers have tied their best 40-game start in franchise history. Fernando Tatis tied Mike Trout for the ML Le- for the Major League lead with his 14th home run and drove in three in the Padres' 7-0 win over Oakland. And finally, Cattell Marte had four hits and two RBIs, and the Arizona bullpen held off San Francisco as the Diamondbacks beat the Giants 6-5. to Yeah, we got a lot on tap for Saturday as well. Starting off at the 4 o'clock hour, the Red Hot Padres will face off against the A's in a marquee matchup. At 5 o'clock hour, the classic Cardinals-Cubs rivalry, game one of a doubleheader. The Cubs command the NL Central now by four and a half games. The 6 o'clock hour, Florida matchup once again to the dominating Rays and the Marlins. 7 o'clock hour, lots of games on tap here. The budding White Sox and the rebuilding Royals match up in Kansas City. The Reds, who are 5 for their last 10, look to stay playing well against the league-worst Pirates. The Astros, who definitely need a win to face off against the Angels, who will pick highly in 2021. The struggling Nats will take on the Braves, who lead the NL East. More NL East as the disappointing Phillies take on the disappointing Mets. The much-improved Tigers will take on the powerful Twins. Two of the game best, best in the game with Lindor and Yelich will battle it out in an interleague matchup between the Brewers and the Indians. Third-place Jays look to overtake the Yankees for second place in the AL East. The Red Sox will be in the AL East basement. The Yankees and the Red Sox go at it again. Keegan... Keegan Aiken makes his second start against the Yankees' ace Garrett Cole. Game two of the Cardinals-Cubs doubleheader, 8 o'clock. At the 9 o'clock hour, two bottom-dwelling teams in the Rangers and the Mariners will take on each other. Bellinger's-Dodgers battle Givens-Rockies in an NL matchup. And finally, the Giants, who find themselves in a playoff race, face off against the Diamondbacks. And lastly, at the 9 o'clock hour, game two of the Angels and Astros doubleheader. Just to clarify, I think I know what Zach was trying to say there. The the Red Sox play the Blue Jays, the Orioles play the Yanks, but what Zach was trying to say is that the Yankees and the Red Sox will battle it out for fourth and fifth place in the division. I, I, I wrote some things wrong down there, but it's okay. But it's okay. I, you know, it, it took me a second, but I got what you were trying to say there because they're going to yeah. be the two bottom teams is what you're thinking by the end of this weekend. So right. I'm with you. I'm following you, man. Now, speaking of the Yankees, the Orioles – had lost 19 straight games to the New York Yankees. If you remember, they opened the season in 2019, winning two of three in New York, and then they never won again. They lost the last 16 games to the Yankees. They lost the first three this year to go 0-0 for their last 19. Finally got that win last night. Now look, the Yankees are doing the Orioles a favor because they don't have four of their best bats in the lineup right now. They're, having, they, they're missing some starting pitching. So if there was ever a time that the Orioles were going to beat the Yankees, it was going to be yesterday. And we talked about it early in the program. Honestly, the Orioles probably should have swept that doubleheader. They outplayed the Yankees in both games. They just didn't they didn't come through. Too many errors, too many unearned runs, six unearned runs in the two games combined. Just not a great showing. But the Orioles managed to pull pull a win out of their hat in one of those games. Yeah, 19 in a row, and, and the media had a lot of fun with it, unfortunately. You know, it, it was posted all over MLB and Fox and all these different things that, you know, the Yankees had beaten the Orioles so many times in a row. Like you said, they went in last year, and, and Pedro Alvarez in the beginning of that year, I believe, is still with the Orioles at that point and hit a walk-off grand slam in that game. And there were some good things that happened. That was 2018. 2018? Okay, I'm, I'm sorry about that. That's all right. Um, 
But yeah, the Orioles never won again, and now it was 19th straight, and they finally won last night. So it was good to see a win, and uh, it, it, you know, hopefully they can keep it going. Garrett Cole is going to be a really tough matchup tonight. Hopefully Keegan Aiken can stay, you know, and, and pitch as well as he did last time. Stan called it brilliant, and hopefully it happens again. Yeah, Garrett Cole has been. Pretty pedestrian, considering he's making about thirty-six million dollars a year, something yeah. ar- something around that number. Um, you know, he he had won twenty-eight straight starts dating back to May of last year. You knew that wasn't going to continue. When I say twenty-eight straight starts, twenty twenty-eight straight starts without a loss. He had won twenty straight decisions. Um, so you knew that wasn't going to last forever. But he's looked very mediocre. Looked like he was on the verge of tears after his last start because he said that the, the, the I think they were playing the Rays. He said it seemed like they just knew what pitches were coming, and he looked like grown man on camera on national television, looking like he wants to cry because he can't get guys out. Like, uh, <laughs> I, that's not the Garrett Cole I've ever seen. But you know, there, there's a lot. The Yankees were his favorite team growing up, and there's a lot of pressure that comes with. A, getting the most lucrative contract in the history of pitchers in Major League, in, in Major League Baseball and then having to do, live up to that contract in New York wearing the pinstripes. It's, it's, a, it's a different animal making that kind of money. Playing Randy Johnson, what was he, like a seven-time Cy Young Award winner, a guy who won over 350 games and was, he's in the Hall of Fame. He cracked under the pressure pitching in New York, was not good in New York. So it happens. I expect Garrett Cole's gonna come out and, you know, nothing like some Orioles baseball to 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 write what's wrong if you're an opposing pitcher or an opposing team these days. Hopefully that's not the case in the future. But and for Keegan Aiken it's gonna be hey man, nice job in your first start, your second career start, you're facing Garrett Cole, uh you know a guy who helped lead the Astros almost to another world championship last year got a huge contract. I'm excited to see what Aiken can do. I think the hit, I honestly think he's going to pitch well because that's not a great Yankees lineup right now. Yeah, I think for Garrett Cole, he's kind of lucky there aren't fans in the stands this season. If you remember oh, a few years ago when, when Stanton came over to the Yankees, he struck out probably like 20 times in the first couple weeks, and the Yankees fans were booing him already. They've never yeah. stopped booing him. Right. This is a guy who won MVP a few years ago, and, and now they're booing him off the field. He can't even stay off the trainer's table these days. And, and But Garrett Cole... He's pitching in a really small bar ballpark all across the AL East, really. Not just right. Yankee Stadium. He's pitching in Camden Yards. Uh, the Blue Jays Stadium is not very big either. So you Boston. Know, it, Boston's really small in that right field. So, yeah, it, it's tough for him. And, but he knew that when signing here. He knew that it was going to be tough to pitch in these parks. Houston's quite a big ballpark. And, you know... It's, it's going to be tougher for him. Yankee fans are already really frustrated. I've seen a lot of bloggers who are calling this a terrible deal. He's only, he has a 3.9 ERA. It's not that big of a deal to me. I mean, if, that looks great as far as Orioles pitching goes. We'd kill um, for that. Yeah, we, we would kill for that for sure. Um, but, yeah, Keegan Aiken, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough matchup, but he has to get run support. If the Orioles can come out there and hit the ball and be patient and take good at-bats and give him four or five runs, I definitely think Keegan Aiken could pull out a win here. Well, and I think that the Orioles offense will go as far as Anthony Santander and he left that he left that first game with a strained oblique uh, they we haven't had word I do not expect him to play tonight and Santander is the he's the type of batter that gives Garrett Cole fits you look at him like like a Juan Soto type now Juan Soto is clearly the better player 
but is, is the same type of guy with that sweet left-handed swing who can really power up on a fastball that they, they go that Cole would try to throw to him. Uh, it's unfortunate for the Orioles that they're probably not going to have Santander. And, and and you don't mess around with oblique injuries. An oblique injury, I mean, I'm not going to speculate here, but if it's serious, you're not going to see him the rest of the year. Yeah, I think their best bet right now is just to shut him down. This is a guy that the Orioles are going to be counting on for the future for many years. He's a cornerstone piece. You just need to shut him down. You know, you don't want to risk further injury. Like you said, the oblique is a place where you just don't want to risk it. UCL Diaz, still down in the buoy camp. Maybe yep. we see a debut. Uh, you know, DJ Stewart was called back up, but he's not the answer. Right? Crazy, crazy stat about DJ Stewart. He has no hits this year. Yeah. He struck out 10 times, but he's walked nine times and has been hit by a pitch once. Has a higher on base percentage than Santander and Renato Nunez. Uh, uh, what? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to speak for DJ, but it almost seems like he comes up trying to walk every at-bat because he knows he can. He has really good plate discipline. He always did throughout the minors. And he also hit a lot of home runs in the minors, too. I, I don't know why he hasn't been able to hit at the major league level. I don't understand that. He's also a reverse splits guy. He faces lefties better than he does righties. But he needs to figure something out soon because 0 for 16 is not cutting it. Well, and DJ Stewart's a guy that we've seen slow starts before. Yeah. I think... Per- I don't have a lot of high hopes. I don't think that he factors into the future of the ball club, but I also think that he's the type of guy who, once he gets that first hit, and maybe it needs to be a bunt hit against the shift, but once he gets that first hit, I think you'll see him rack up a handful of hits in, in, in a couple of games to, to kind of get those those numbers more evened out. Uh, another guy, Renato Nunez, and we talked about him at the beginning of the show, and you said that you don't know where Tyler Nev- Nevin factors in for the Orioles because Renato Nunez is here, and you have Trey Mancini, you have Ryan Mountcastle. And then, see, for me, I don't think that Nunez, and you know, I have a couple of buddies, Dylan Atkinson and Tom Lathram on Twitter, who they're, and uh, this other guy, John, I, I don't know John's last name, but they are big time Renato Nunez fans. And I don't, th- they think that he's a big part of the Orioles' future. I don't. I don't. I think that Nunez is a trade chip. I think that he's a guy who slides right out because with Santander and with Heston Kerstad coming, Ryan Mountcastle and Trey Mancini aren't going to play in the outfield. They're just not. After after 2022, they're just not going to play in the outfield. So one of them is going to play first base. One of them is going to DH. They are better hitters than Nunez. They have better plate discipline than well. Ryan Mountcastle's play discipline is still developing. But they're better hitters. I don't think that Nunez has a spot on this team. I think that the Orioles, their best their best option is to let him hit 30, 40 home runs this season. He might do that next year and then trade him because he doesn't factor into your future. It seems like the Orioles always kind of have these first base third base, left field, right field type of guys, the corner outfielders, the corner infielders that just have a lot of power but don't play defense well. And that's Nunez to a T. And there's Davis still in this roster, unfortunately. Mancini, like you said, Mountcastle. You know, you've got Nevin coming up. There's a lot of guys who I think are better options than Renato Nunez. I love the power. I mean, there's no doubt. Oh, absolutely. He has unbelievable power. He's going to put up a massive OPS, massive power numbers. He'll hit doubles. But Renato Nunez also struggles with runners in scoring position. Mm-hmm. He's another guy that just doesn't get the big hit when you need it. And that's that's unfortunate. And I think the Orioles will look at that as kind of a big negative chip in, in what he does. And and you talk about him as a guy who could be traded. You know, I don't think 
the Orioles could get a top 100 prospect. Certainly not. But teams need power. They need a middle-of-the-order bat that can bat fifth or sixth or even, you know, even fourth in some lineups. I could see that even like a Yankee team looking for someone like Renato Nunez to fill out their roster. Can you imagine Renato Nunez Man, hitting I, 10 home runs in a season against the Orioles? Yeah, I mean, it, that's it, it's possible. It, yeah. it definitely could happen. I mean, Renato, he just has the power, but with, with the depth the Orioles have at these positions, I, I don't really think fits. Yeah, I just I just really don't see a fit for him, especially with the way the Mountcastle is hitting right now. You actually saw a stat about Ryan Mountcastle that people wouldn't expect because you know he's he's playing pretty well, pretty well out of left field, uh, getting good jumps on balls. He's hitting the hell out of the ball, hitting the breaking ball really well, batting over 300 right now. His slugging percentage is, is up there. But what did you see that people wouldn't wouldn't necessarily think about Ryan Mountcastle? Yeah, I saw Mountcastle in the minors a few times when he was at Aberdeen and then when he was at Bowie a few years later. And he never was really a fast player. He was always just kind of that big guy. He wasn't slow by any means, but he wasn't a you know a top sprinting kind of guy. Now he's in the 80th percentile of all MLB players in sprint speed. And last night he actually matched with that ball going down the line. He had that infield hit. Uh, he actually matched Austin Hayes' top sprint speed for the season, which was about 29 uh, feet per second, which is just unbelievable, which puts him in the 80th percentile. I, I cannot even believe that. I mean, he's, he never was that fast. Clearly tried to do some sprinting or, or something that made him into this faster player, but I'm, I'm loving it for sure. Well, and he, he probably did that because he has to play the outfield. He probably yeah. did some kind of calisthenics or, or some kind of you know high-intensity interval training program in the offseason because he knew that his best shot at getting on the major league roster was to play in the outfield. Uh, and he's going to need to get better jumps on balls and get the balls in the gap and balls down the line. So it would not surprise me to learn that he, did, that he incorporated something like that into his offseason program. But when I look at Ryan Mountcastle, to me he just looks like a guy who should be able to run. Because he's athletic. He just looks like an athletic guy who should be able to get down the line. I would have never expected 80th percentile, maybe 60th, but 80th percentile, and he beat out that. It was a routine ground ball to third base, and he beat it out. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from Mountcastle in all facets. I see what they're talking about with the plate discipline because I see him swinging some pitches that he has no business swinging at. He hasn't really walked since the first four games of the year, but... When he gets a hold of the ball, he gets a hold of it, and he's he's getting a hold of a lot of balls right now. And he, I think he has something like six. I think he has seven now multi-hit games in his first twelve games in the big leagues. So really like what I'm seeing from Ryan Mountcastle. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention Tom Seaver. Uh, Tom Seaver uh, passed away due to complications from uh, somebody posted that he died from complications of dementia and COVID nineteen. Uh, this past week at the age of 75, Mr. Met uh, th- won 311 games, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1992. There's a ton of guys who have played for the Mets who are in the Hall of Fame right now, Mike Piazza, um, Tom Glavin, Pedro Martinez, Ricky Henderson. But Tom Seaver is really the only Met who's in the Hall of Fame as a Met. And it got me thinking about, about the Orioles. And the last Hall of Fame induction for the Orioles was Cal Ripken in 2007. They have six Hall of Famers uh, for, uh, that are tied to the franchise. Now, Mike Mussina, 10 years in Baltimore, I think his best pitching numbers were in, th- There's no arguing. He, he was a better pitcher in Baltimore than he was in New York, but he had more, uh, more success, team success, in New York. I think he should have been in the Hall of Fame as Norio. He went in with no 
with no team as under no team, just kind of pay respect to both franchises. So I get that. I I understand that. Who's the next Oriole Hall of Famer? Because it wasn't Messina. Uh, it was Cal Ripken in 2007. You could make an argument, I guess, for Adam Jones. Best best outfielder in the history of the franchise. Um, hit over 300 home runs in Baltimore, over 2,000 hits in Baltimore. But he's not. He's a good player, not a Hall of Fame player. Nick Markakis, if he plays about six more years and that dude can just fall out of bed and, and hit doubles, uh, Nick Markakis, if he gets to 3,000 hits, could be. But at that point, he'll have spent more time away from Baltimore than he spent in Baltimore. Who's the next Orioles Hall of Famer? They, have they even played for the Orioles yet? I don't really know. I mean, Adam Jones is a tough one. He's in, he's a really great player, but I don't know if he's Hall of Fame caliber of a player. And, and I don't really think – I don't really know, honestly. You know, it, it's just a tough one to say. Um, Messina, I'm not sure how Orioles fans would feel about that one, given that, you know, uh, you know it being that he only – he went to the Yankees. A lot of people are very unhappy about that, but I, I really don't know. It's it's not a clear thing yet. Well, let me let me let me just clear this up about Mike Mussina because I am a Mike Mussina homer. I, okay. He is my favorite pitcher in the history of the game. He still holds the American League record: seventeen consecutive seasons with eleven plus wins in the American League East. That's that's, that's an American League record. The the guy was a Hall of Fame pitcher. Peter Angelos lowballed him. Peter Angelos lowballed him. And by the time he already gave him a hometown di- a home team discount for his first contract, Angelos lowballed him for the second contract. And when he finally came to to Musina with a contract that was worthy of his per- of his performance, the Orioles had just had a fire sale and gotten rid of all of their good players. They were clearly in the middle of a rebuild that wouldn't come to fruition for twelve more years. Don't murder me, Baltimore. I don't have a problem. With Musina having signed with the Yankees, it hurt. It still hurt. So I've seen him pitch in pinstripes. But what was he supposed to do? What was he supposed to do? He's in the prime of his career. He's pitching. Uh, he, he's in the prime of his career. And sorry, I have to change the ads on the on the. Okay, got it. He's in the prime of his career, pitching on a team that's going nowhere for another twelve years. Now he doesn't know it's going to take that long. But this guy wants to go win a World Series. The Yankees have just won three World Series in four years. What was he supposed to do? New York comes comes calling, and you're playing for for the arguably the worst team in baseball. You answer that phone call, and you probably go. And I, I can't blame him. It, it was a little bit before my time, but I you I weren't think, even born yet, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, but you know, it's uh, there's a lot of Baltimore fans that are really upset about this one. So I I really can't make too much of a comment on it because I wasn't around when this one happened. But, you know, it's, I think it's the fact that he went to the ALE specifically. He didn't go to the Dodgers or another place that he could possibly win, but he went to the Yankees, and the Yankees are a arch rival of the Orioles, and I think that's why people were upset. No, I, I get why people were upset. Yeah. I, just, it, I just don't blame him. It, it makes sense for sure. And he, and he, didn't, like, he didn't pitch as well with the Yankees as he did with the Orioles. That's for sure. Um, and I, I do want to make a note on Nick Markakis. He is about 700 hits away from 3,000. So I don't, I don't know if he'll get there. He'll get close, maybe 2,700. Well, he's he's going to be 30. Seven this yeah. all, this off season, I believe in October, um, and he's got a he, he might have three years left, uh, maybe four. That's a guy who could could really benefit from either going back to an American League team to DH, or benefit from the Universal DH. He, he he's he takes care of himself. He's still in good shape. He can still uh, play the outfield well. Still has a good arm. 
I think that if, if he wants to get the 3,000 hits, I think he could. It's just a matter of whether or not a team is willing to take a chance on when he's 38, 39 years old. Yeah, you look at 3,000 and 500 home runs as kind of the big numbers that hitters have to reach to make the Hall of Fame these days, it almost seems like. And, you know, Marquez, like we said, might not reach that, but he could become like a Michael Brantley type where he just DHs and plays a little bit of the outfield here and there. Uh, I've known a lot of Orioles fans that want him back. I personally am not one of them. I, you know, obviously he had 10 great years here, but it's it's not someone I'd really want to go back for. It, it, the Hall of Fame will just be tough. I don't know if his numbers will be good enough, but he could be close. Especially since he's just a one-time All-Star. But with that in mind, right. we got to pay some bills. Uh, so Zach's going to give us a, 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 little, uh, a little press box print edition live read here while I get Dan Connolly on the line. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka profiles potential breakout star Hollywood Brown and the relationship he's developed with Lamar Jackson, a fellow Florida native. And inside, Bill Ordine helps remember legendary superfan Mo Gabba. And Luke Jackson looks at the challenge the, or- the Ravens will have to keep their roster together long term. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBox.com. Excellent job with the live read there, Zach. Certainly appreciate it. We now have Dan Connolly on the line with us Dan, from The Athletic. Dan, how are you today? Good. How are you? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Orioles got off the schneid last night, uh, winning their fir- for the first time in 20 games against the Yankees. But six unearned runs. What are you seeing from this team's defense? Because it, they're not really catching the ball very well the last couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I actually thought they had a pretty good defense, more improved than last year for sure. Um, you know, you put Iglesias at shortstop. It's a better defense. Rio Ruiz obviously has made some strides in the right way at third base. Um, but I, I think, honestly, I, I think personnel-wise, they're probably okay defensively. I, I have never been on board that uh, Severino is a great catcher. I, I just, I mean, that that was his uh, his reputation coming in. Um, no hit and and great glove, great overall backstop. I'm not sure I really buy that from what I've seen. I mean, he obviously has a lot of pop, a lot of energy. I think he's a, a solid little player, but um, his defense, I, I think, you know, there are there are times where there are lapses. Um, and then I think around the rest of the infield, you're okay in in most spots. Um, the, the outfield defense was atrocious last year, and I think it's gotten better. So I think it's a better defense than it has been. I think the problem is a lot of it is, is immaturity, um, inexperience, rushing things. You know, a lot of those, if you look at some of the key errors, um, they've, they've come at shortstop where Iglesias hasn't been able to play, you know, for the full season. Uh, and so that's kind of something there. And then when Ruiz makes an error, when Alberta makes an error, it, it, it seems like they're rushing errors, or they're errors that are they're trying to do right. too much. Um, and and a guy like like Nunez, he's just learning first base. That's so. True. I mean, if you if you look at it, you know, a lot of these guys are in positions that they hadn't been in before, and they're they're really kind of learning on the fly. But I think they're good enough athletes to be able to figure it out. I think it's just kind of disappointing because pitching wise, you know, you don't have an outstanding pitching uh, group there. So you need you need everybody to catch the ball when it's put in play. Yeah, and, and Anthony Santander has really made some defensive strides. Mm-hmm. He's now seventh in DRS among outfielders, which is a very highly ranked player. Uh, what have you kind of seen different from him in his outfield work this year? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we saw it maybe the last month or so of the season last year. When he came up, one of the, the things was he could hit, but they weren't sure what position they, they would put him in, and, and, you know, is he a DH kind of guy? And I've always liked the arm. I've always been intrigued by the arm, <clears throat> but it's it's a question of, you know, can he figure out how to play right field? I think one of the most interesting things that was done last year, and it was done purely out of necessity, I think, was putting Santander in center field for a little bit. Right. Because I, I think that that makes you a better outfielder <coughs> when you have to play center field, and you have to really, you know, get good reads on balls, and you have to get your feet in right position. You've got to be in a throwing position, and you've got to be in a... Uh, a spot to be able to run down a ball. And I think, obviously, he was not a center fielder, and obviously he wasn't a good center fielder of the majors. But I think that helped the learning curve speed up in right field because he's not asked to do all that now. And so I think you know, you're you seeing him get pretty good uh, reads on balls, and you're seeing him make nice jumps, and, and, and like you know, almost as if you know, that center field help kind of gave him a more of an appreciation and understanding of how to track down balls a little better. Uh, you know, but but he's still like I, like I said, Paul, with all some of these other guys. You know, he's still learning and he's still inexperienced. Even though he, you know he's twenty five, he's been in the majors for for parts of several seasons now. Um, and I think that that play to end the game against Toronto was indicative of that. Where you know he got that ball and he just threw it. And yeah. you know, the, the the second baseman, I don't remember who it was. Um, it wasn't Alberto. I think was, it was Ruiz uh, at that point. Was it Ruiz? Was in a was in a bad spot. Um, was way too far out in the outfield, and the first baseman was too far down the line. I mean, it was like it, the cutoff was atrocious. It was terrible, and his throw was bad. He just picked it up and chucked. Um, and if it weren't for Iglesias, who is you know obviously the only really truly experienced uh, infielder on the group at the, on the third at that point, um, you know they they would have that game would have been tied. Uh, so I think you're seeing growing pains defensively, but I do think that you look at this. And, you know, and the jury's still out, obviously, on Mount Castle left field. But if you look at this, I think you can, you can see it and say, okay, this, is, this, this has the makings of a pretty solid, you know, defensive core if it stays together and improves. Center field could be very good. Um, you know, Mount Castle at least holds his own on left. Santander can be a better right fielder. Um, you know, can be one of the better right fielders if he can continue it consistently. I love what I've seen for the most part from Ruiz at third. Obviously, we don't know what Iglesias' future is, but he can play, you know, defense. And Alberto's a real good defender this year. I think he's just—I think he's just trying to do too much. Yeah. And he—he, he, you know, I mean, this is a guy who was a shortstop much of his career. They thought he was going to be a third baseman. He's got a great arm for second base, uh, but I think that he's—you know—there there are times his mistakes almost always seem like rushing mistakes. His mistakes always seem like he's just—he—he's just sped up his clock a little bit. Um, the range isn't, you know, maybe what you would like, but I think it's perfectly fine for a second baseman. And then first base, obviously, you look at it and you think Trey Mancini's there. Um, and if that, you know, going forward, and if that's the case, that obviously betters your defense as well. Well, you, you talked a lot about Santander. Uh, he left the game yesterday with a strained oblique. Mm-hmm. Austin Hayes has a broken rib. He hasn't played in, in going on right. a month now. Uh, do we have any updates on either one of those players as far as their injuries are concerned? Well, not on Santander, because it obviously just happened last night. We should get that today uh, when we talk to, to Brandon Hyde. Uh, but as far as Hayes, he's, we keep being told he is improving. He's, he's getting back to it um, at the, uh, the overflow. And uh, about three or four days ago, Brandon Hyde said within the next two weeks he would expect him back with the Orioles. So my guess is we'll see uh, 
Hayes in the next 10 days or so. Um, so, I mean, he was not progressing very quickly, and now it seems like he's ramping up pretty good. So my guess is by, what did we go, September 5th today, by September 15th, uh, I would imagine we see uh, Austin Hayes in a Rose uniform again. Hey, Dan, this is Zach Goodman. And I just wanted to ask about, you know, Cedric Mullins has been playing so well. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Orioles are going to have a tough, tough decision to make when Austin Hayes comes back and you know, presumably – he might slide into that starting center field spot, but what happens to Cedric Mullins? You think when uh, Hayes comes back? It's an interesting question, and I think anybody in the Orioles organization will tell you they are thrilled that they may have that tough problem uh, because it, we weren't sure who's going to be playing center field, you know. And obviously, it was Mullins to lose, and he lost it last year. Then it was Hayes to lose, and it looked like he might be losing the handle of it a little bit. So the fact that you have the possibility of two, you know, guys who can play center field, who can hit um, together, I, I think that's a, a you know, a, a thing worth having, a problem worth having. Um, I, I've been, you know, I've done this for so long now. I kind of feel like it all shakes itself out. Yeah. Uh, you know, by the time that that Hayes comes back. You know, Mullins could be at an 0 for 20. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just it's one of those things that I, I think that the talent will rise and it will all shake out. I mean, at the very least, you know, you could could move Mountcastle around a little bit. Uh, I mean, you know, why Mountcastle could be at first, Nunez could be at DH. Uh, you know, you could have Mullins or uh, Hayes in left field. So I think that there are ways to move all of this around. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously... If you do that, then maybe you're not using Cisco as bad as much DH. But I think that, that if, if both of those guys are performing, both of those guys are going to be in the lineup because they give you so much with speed and, and that kind of stuff, and the grit, the defensive play. And, and like I said, then, then maybe Mountcastle DH is more, or maybe uh, uh, Nunez DH is more. But I think there's a way to figure that out. Well, speaking of Mountcastle and Nunez, you said you can move Mountcastle all around. You look into the future of the Orioles, and we're talking 2022-2023. You're assuming Santander is still here. Um, You're assuming Heston Kerstad is manning a a corner outfield spot along with Santander, which means that Ryan Mountcastle probably isn't playing in the outfield in the next couple of years. Uh, Assuming uh, Trey Mancini is still here, now he'll be on the wrong side of 30 at that point. Where does Renato Nunez fit in? Because you're not going to take Mountcastle out of the lineup. You're not going to take Mancini out of the lineup. And one of those guys is going to play first while the other one DHs. Where does Renato Nunez fit in the future of this ball club? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's obviously, he's not, you know, he's a guy that, that, that they could move. Um, he, I would think, you know, it's just so hard to tell. Because, like, you know, you say, well, you assume that Kerstad's going to be one of the corner outfielders. But when? I mean, is that three right. years from now? Is that two years from now? Is that four years from now? I think it really depends on that guy's maturation and exactly who he is. And, you know, and, and, and obviously we're talking about a year. <clears throat> now, when a, guy gets, when a guy gets drafted, oftentimes, excuse me, in my experience, oftentimes what happens is he doesn't do particularly well in those last two months of the season. Uh, or you know, when, when he gets drafted, that June, July, August. Um, because he's hitting the wall, because he's never really played it like that before. He hasn't had gone straight through. Um, and even even a guy like like Ali Rutschman, you know, we were expecting much bigger things for him this year. You know, in comparison to what he did in the the you know the, his first two months as a pro in 2019. 
So I don't think anyone really knows exactly what the timetable is on on Kerstad because even though he didn't, you know, he, he obviously had some rest and stuff. He wasn't playing this year either. So does that put him a step backward, or does that make him more fresh? I, you know, you don't know the, the the equation. I have a feeling that by the time Kerstad is up with the Orioles, Renato Nunez won't be with the Orioles. That's my sense um, because of you know, the way things move around in baseball, um, how hard it is to maintain what, you know, what players do. And, and so I just, I just don't think that's going to end up being a problem. Um, and Mancini, like you said, I mean, you're, you're talking two more years of Trey Mancini. Mm-hmm. Um, and so will he be a, will they extend him and will he be here for a long period of time? Perhaps, but <clears throat> I'm not, <clears throat> excuse me. I got a terrible thing in my throat here. Um, but will he be a guy that, uh, you know, is with the Orioles for five years from now? <clears throat> I'm not so sure. So so I guess to put your, your question in, in perspective, again, it's one of those things I think it'll play out. And um, we probably won't even be having this discussion about where, where does Nunez play when Mountcastle has to move off left field. You're probably right. You're probably right. Now, other guys that we could see in the near future, maybe this year, if not this year, certainly next year, uh, Dean Kramer, Bruce Zimmerman, Michael Ballman. Uh, we heard that they might make their debuts this year. The Orioles rotation, especially with Cobb going down and trading Malone, uh, I don't know that Eshelman stays in the rotation. Are we going to see any of those guys get their feet wet here just to see what the Orioles have moving forward? I think <clears throat> I think there's a good possibility that we'll see Kramer before the season's over with. Um, if I'm putting money on that, that's the one I'm putting money on. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's possible maybe Zimmerman gets moved up. Uh, I doubt it with, with Bauman. Uh, I, I just doubt it with him. Um, but I could see Kramer getting that call. And, and the thing with Cobb, too, is I wouldn't be surprised if Cobb's you know, back in, in three days or something like that and just misses a start. My take on the Cobb thing, and this is just purely gut, but my take on the Cobb thing is that he either was sick or someone in his house was sick um, or someone he was in contact with was either sick or had come in contact with COVID-19. Yeah. They had to put him through the, the protocols, and uh, when he gets cleared, he'll be back. Um, the reason that, that, you know, the same thing happened with Chris Davis, at least in my scenario, the same thing happened with Chris Davis uh, with, you know, being sick and, and being told to stay home. The difference... This, you know, for this one, in my opinion, this is just my speculation, is that they had a doubleheader yesterday. He was supposed to start. They were going to have a guy filling in for him that they weren't sure how long he could go, so they needed an extra arm. And since there is no penalty on putting a guy on the, on the IL and bringing him off on the IL, as it is for COVID-related reasons, uh, you're not stuck to 10 days. Okay. So he could be back in a couple days. So, again, I am just speculating we could find out in the next couple of days that, that you know that there is way more to it than this. But I am just speculating from what the way that, that uh, Brandon Hyde kind of characterized it, I'm speculating this is more of a precautionary thing than anything specific. And, and here's the other thing, Paul. If it were, if he were COVID-19, like when a guy gets hurt and puts him, put him on the IL, they tell us what it is. Yeah. If a guy is put in for, for protocol reasons, they do not tell us what it is. Okay? And if... They thought that he had, or if he had tested positive or whatever for COVID nineteen yesterday, um, they probably wouldn't have played the doubleheader yesterday. Period. So you know, the, uh, the, I'm not sure the Yankees want to actually go ahead and play if they feel like there was an Oriole who had COVID 
and the rest of that team could possibly be infected. That's so. That's an excellent point. So my guess is it's it's more precautionary than it is major concern, but I could be wrong. <laughs> but that's my guess. Dan, I want to circle back to Mike Ballman for a minute because he played for Frederick and Bowie last year, didn't make the AAA level. Do you kind of get the feeling that the Orioles like to have their pitching prospects and even some of their hitting prospects get a full year at AAA at, before they make the majors? Mike Elias told me about a year or two ago, um, and I think it's something, it's something that Andy McPhail was big on as well. Actually, Dan Duquette was big on it as well. Elias is from the school that he would like each of his prospects to at least have significant success or, or you know, tenable success at a level before he moves up to the next level. And a lot of people, like Dan Duquette, really felt that that was a year, that there should be a full year at each level. Um, I'm not sure Elias is necessarily in that camp, but I do believe he feels that there is a real importance to getting to each level, understanding each level, and if not mastering each level, um, getting a real taste of it before you move on. Uh, you, don't, you don't normally see, or so far, we haven't seen a whole lot of jumps. Now, obviously, this year's a little different because you can't get that taste. Uh, but you don't really, you haven't really seen a whole lot of jumps from the double A to the majors. You know, we, you know, um, we haven't seen a Jeff Fortino from single A Frederick to the majors here um, with, with with these guys under uh, Mike and, and you know, and you, and you saw it, you know, with, with Manny, but he was a wholly, you know, completely different uh, animal there. So I would think that yes, that you know, these guys who have not performed at Triple A. They will. And in fact, Mike Elias has told us before, like when we talked about different guys, he mentions the fact that, yeah, you know, Aiken, Aiken pitched a full season in, in AAA. Or, you know, a, a guy like uh, uh, Kramer or, or Ballman, you know, we like to see them get more of a taste in, in, in AAA. So I do believe that's the situation. I do believe that, you know, that they, in a perfect world, they want these guys to have tenable success at every level. Now, that might have to change a little bit because there were no levels at all in, in 2020. Exactly. I, I think it certainly bodes well for the Norfolk Tides rotation going forward. They're going to have a guy like Ballman and Zimmerman, uh, Louther, Wells in their rotation next year. That bodes well for the system and for the team. Dan, really excellent stuff. We appreciate you joining the show. I know you said you have a monster piece you got to have in by five today. So we're going to let you go. But before we do, we do a segment on the show every, every week uh, called Take to Rake where – we pick a player who we think is going to have a big week offensively for the Orioles. And we, if you're willing, we'd like you to take a crack at it this week. Hmm. Let me think about this for a moment. Um, you know what? You know what I'm going to go with? Because he's had a couple days, and I'm sure he was driving everybody insane. Um, assuming he is okay, I'm going to go with Hans Roberto. Um because, for one, he likes the bigger stage. They're going to be playing in New York. And, you know, he was really hitting well. Then he got, you know, then he kind of got a, a little bit, I think, maybe overused a little bit. Um, seemed like he was starting to get it back again. And then he had a knee injury. He missed two days. Uh, and so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with him. I kind of want to say Mount Castle, too. But, um, you know, New York can be humbling. <laughs> so let, let's go with a guy who's been around a little bit um, and isn't afraid of, of that kind of stage. So we'll go with Alberto. 
Well, Alberto is a really solid choice. Mountcastle's been picked each of the last two weeks, and he's provided winners each of the last two weeks. So it would have been a good choice. But uh, all right, Dan Conley on the board with Hans here, Alberto. Thanks so much for joining the show, man. We will talk to you soon. All right, have a great weekend. You got it, guys. Take care. Take care. So last week, Kevin Brown kind of gave us a, a, a little flack for not picking, making our picks when he made his pick for take the rake and so i was going to do it with dan this week i was going to make our picks too but i told dan we would keep it to about 15 minutes because he does have a huge piece i'm dan when he writes these these huge pieces they're incredible they are absolutely he wrote one on on, uh steve beckler um and he wrote one on Caden grenier and they were both phenomenal they're they're long they're phenomenally done so I'm looking forward to reading that. But because of him having to write another piece that is probably like that, I wasn't going to waste his time with us doing our picks. Um, so we're going to get a break here. When we come back, we'll go back to take to rake. We'll see if Zach won or if I won or if Kevin Brown swooped in and won. Uh, and then we'll make our picks for this week and close the show. Just want to remind you the bat around is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. Also want to point out, that every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via PressBox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Cal Ripken, Tommy Malone, Phil Nevin, and Navy coach Ken Niamatololo. That's the best shot I'm going to have at pronouncing that name, among others. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review at PressBoxOnline.com. We're going to get a we're going to, if I can learn how to talk here. We're going to get a break. When we come back, we're going to bring to you Take to Rake. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Baltimore's favorite bar, Slider's Bar and Grill, is now open. Just across the street from Camden Yards, Slider's is open, and they've added new menu items, new frozen cocktails, and new 32-ounce beers. If you're not ready to go out just yet, you can still order from Slider's carryout menu, and they still have liter bottles of hand sanitizer available for just $15. Call 443-835-0906 or 410-547-8891 or visit slidersbaltimore.com. We'll see you this summer at Sliders. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. 
with competitive pricing and an AM Best A- Financial Strength Rating. It's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka profiles potential breakout Ravens star Hollywood Brown and the relationship he's developed with Lamar Jackson, a fellow South Florida native. Also inside, Bill Ordeen helps remember legendary superfan Mo Gabba. And Luke Jackson looks at the challenge the Ravens will have to keep their roster together long term. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Welcome back to the Battle Round. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Paul Valley with Zach Goodman here. And we are almost done with today's show. First, I want to send a special thank you to Stan the Fan Charles for joining us, as well as Thomas Hardy, who covers the Rockies for MLB.com, and Dan Connolly from The Athletic. Dan's always a great interview, and he's a busy guy, so it's rare that we get him. But when we do, it's always fantastic. Also, if you're watching the show Try to like and share the program for us. That's how we get viewerships. That's how we keep being able to do this show every week. So if you're watching, like and share the program, whether on Facebook or on PressBox.com. Take to rake. Kevin Brown took Renato Nunez last week. Nunez, he did hit three home runs. He did drive in five, but he went five for 29. So less than a 200 batting average over the week, but with the three home runs. Zach, you took Ryan Mountcastle, 9 for 25. That's a 360 batting average, three home runs, seven RBIs. I took Anthony Santander, 6 for 26, a home run, two doubles, four RBIs. Left the first game of the doubleheader yesterday with an oblique injury. So it looks like Zach is in the win column for the first time in take to rake. So, Zach, that means you get the first pick this week. Who are you taking to rake? Uh, I'm going to repeat it. I'm going to Ryan Mountcastle again. No repeats, bro. No repeats. No repeats. I wasn't made aware of these rules. I, I, I'm making the roll up on the spot. No repeats. Okay. you got to take somebody else. You can you can pick the same player more than once, but not back-to-back. I'm going to switch with you then. I'm going to go Santander. You know, he's, he's had a rough stretch here a little bit. He hasn't been great. So I'm, 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 I'm going to stop you because he might not play. You're right. The You're oblique right. injury. I, I, you know, I, I want to be fair. I, I, I want to be fair, and I, I, I could have let you go, go with that, but I'm, I'm not going to let you do that to yourself. Santander might not play. Doesn't leave many options, i got to tell you. Uh, I'm going to go Renato Nunez then. I think that's the, that's the third backup safe pick here. Renato. Uh, you know, Kevin Brown did okay with him last week. He's been on a little bit of a tear with the home run, so let's hope he keeps it going. Renato Nunez, a solid pick, a solid pick. Especially, he has been hitting the home runs. He hits them in bunches. Uh, he's only hit three home runs last in the last week, which means that he's probably due to hit a few more before he goes into another homerless streak. That's, that's kind of what he does. He's a roller coaster. He'll hit eight in a week, and then he won't hit one for two weeks. I'm not going to pick Ryan Mountcastle. That would not be cool after telling you that you couldn't pick him. I'm going to pick Pedro Severino. Severino hit a ball right on the nose to center field last night. He hit a ball that we all thought was gone. They got caught right in front of the fence in the second game of the doubleheader. Uh, he's hitting over 300. I think Severino's going to have himself a nice week. 
and get me back on the board here for Take the Rake. Dan Connolly, again, took Hanser Alberto, another solid pick. You know, I, I'm noticing a theme here. It's either Nunez, Mountcastle, or Alberto getting taken most weeks. Surprisingly enough, Santander, I think, has only been taken once. I think it was when I took him last week. Uh, nobody's taken him. But maybe maybe people don't believe what they see, or maybe they think it's too obvious of a choice and they want to challenge themselves. I don't know. But So Zach takes Renato Nunez. Dan Connolly takes Hanser Alberto. I'm taking Pedro Severino. We will see how that goes with Take to Rake. Everybody, thanks for joining the show. Tune in next week. A guest to be announced. Until then, thanks for tuning in.